Ohio Habla es un podcast que nace del proyecto Narrativas Orales de Latinos en Ohio, Oral Narratives of Latinos en Ohio. Exploramos la experiencia latina con entrevistas en español, inglés y spanglish. Welcome to Ohio Habla. I'm Elena Fowles. My guest today is Dr. Daniel Colón Hidalgo. Colón Hidalgo is a pulmonary and critical care fellow at the University of Colorado. He has a medical degree from Northwestern University in Chicago. He's originally from the Dominican Republic and grew up in Mexico. Today, we're talking about COVID-19 vaccinations and what that means to our Latino community. Bienvenido a este episodio, Daniel. Muchas gracias. Muchas gracias por tenerme aquí hoy. Tell me a bit more about growing up in Mexico. What was that experience like as an Afro-Latino? Yeah, so it, it was quite interesting. I So for a bit of background, I was born in Dominican Republic and I'm full Dominican. And I when I, were, when I was four, my family and I moved to Mexico. I grew up in southern Mexico in a city called Merida, which is um, a beautiful city. And I'm obviously very biased. Um But obviously, I don't remember the time when I was four, but I, I, when I think about times when, when I was a little bit older in elementary school, middle school, high school, I do remember many times when I felt like I didn't, that didn't uh, belong, that I was different. Um, I grew up in a city, in a community, in a school, in a neighborhood that was predominantly uh, white Hispanic, and um, I was uh, reminded of that quite often, that... Um, I did not look like my peers and um, yeah. So I, I think I, I never thought of um, being black and being Hispanic, being, being able to be one thing or being able to be um, both true within me. Um, right. And I felt like I had to choose um, like, no, I'm not, I'm not black. I'm, I'm Latino. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously later on in life when I, learn more and um, did a little more introspection, I realized that was the case. That was my case. But, you know, give, given the fact that I was like bullied and like, you know, I was told so many, called so many names, um, I tended to gravitate towards being, no, I'm just Hispanic. Like, what are you right. talking about? So you did all your schooling in Mexico, hasta la prepa. Terminaste sí. la prepa ahí. Mm -hmm. Si sí, yo llegué en kinder, uh, hice la primaria, secundaria y prepa en México. Y wow. por eso tengo acento mexicano y no dominicano. <laughs> muy bien, muy bien. Yeah, no, so, so how, what does that mean to you now? Sorry, I'm, I'm like asking a little bit more about, um, you know, your personal story, because I think those, those experiences are so, uh, uh, what, make our, what makes us what we are in, in our passions, right? It, it, it feeds our passion. And um, so I'm, I'm, I'm uh, curious to, to know how you, identified like growing up uh, did you feel this strong um mexican um heritage with you know with uh, living there for so many years and like those those years like you know growing up basically those foundational years of of, of uh, growing there and going to school yeah how did you negotiate domini ser dominicano y, 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 y mexicano <laughs> No, yeah, no, it's a, it was it was tough because at home I was we were very Dominican. Like mm -hmm. uh, my mom cooked Dominican food every day, but at school I was uh, I was very Mexican. I spoke like my classmates. I watched the same TV shows. I 
um, played the same sports, liked soccer and liked the Mexican soccer team and all these mm-hmm. things. So um, it kind of it's kind of like the 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 same uh, similar story to what happened to a lot of like immigrant children here in the U.S., where right. like they're neither from their um, uh, parents' uh, country of origin, neither American, right? So I wasn't I wasn't Dominican enough for my like extended family, but right. I wasn't either Mexican enough <laughs> or for Mexican. So it was a bit tricky, but I think uh, cultural speaking, I, I adopted a lot of um, Mexican um, like traditions and, and stuff like that. I think for my parents was a little bit harder because sometimes mm-hmm. they didn't understand like the Mexican thinking and stuff like that. For, for me, it was a lot easier. So when I moved to the U.S., uh, interesting that you asked me, I, I went to undergrad in Michigan and people were asking where you come from. And I said, mm-hmm. well, I come from Mexico because that's where I just came from. Right. 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 And people were like, no, <laughs> so you don't like Mexican. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? Like I, come, I came from Mexico. Um, and um, so I, I moved to the U S in 2008. So it's been almost 13 years since I got here. So I think, mm-hmm. And I, I'm not sure why my answer has changed a little bit when people ask me where you're from and I mm. say I'm Dominican, just like maybe it's probably to avoid having to explain my entire life story. But um, <laughs> I, I do find that um, uh, a little bit more of my Dominican-ness has, has mm. come out since I moved here um, to the U.S. Yeah, and I think um, my experiences in Mexico, I, I think I'm sounding a little bit of negative. I have nothing but love towards Mexico. I love my childhood there and I have really good friends, but I think that um, maybe experience, like being the different one in, in, in my world at the time made me lean more, more towards, as I mentioned earlier, my uh, Latino side, right? When I moved here, people mm-hmm. like, uh, I had this good friend in, in undergrad, um, this black guy, and he was like, dude, you're black. And I'm like, no, man, I'm Hispanic. <laughs> and like, it, again, it, it, it's like, I'm kind of embarrassed about it because I kind of denied it because mm-hmm. uh, of the experiences that I had as a child. And it took me a long time to realize, hey, A, I can be both and B, mm-hmm. I should be proud of being both because right. I think it, it opened me to a world of like a beautiful culture and, and reading and hearing about the African diaspora in Latin America and everything. It's like a beautiful thing. So I think um, it's been a bit of a journey, so I'm still learning, but yeah. Right, right. Well, great. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, so Daniel, you're a medical doctor and mm-hmm. you are, are you currently working with COVID-19 patients? Yes. Um, I have been working with uh, on and off on COVID services ever since everything started. So um, I was still living in Chicago when, the pandemic started um, February, March-ish, and then, yeah, and till today. Yeah, what have you seen? What um, Were you able to also work with Latino patients? Tell me about this experience. Um, so, unfortunately, um, I think that, uh, obviously, I don't keep track of numbers, but just from a few, I feel like the, the majority of patients both here in Denver and in Chicago have been Latinos, um, Mexican specifically. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of situations where you have um, uh, multi-generational families like in the hospital once or like shortly thereafter. So you have mom and a dad and then next week a cousin and then or mom and a son at the same time. And then everybody else is sick at home, kind of waiting and watching. And mm-hmm. it's sad to see. And, um, even 
So I work in the ICU, so I see like the sickest of the sick. So even if they recover, I mean, they have a lot of barriers. Even if this, let me rephrase that, even if they survive COVID, they have a lot of barriers towards recovery, mm-hmm. unfortunately, yeah. You know, that's something that you mentioned now. I don't think we talk about it enough, but this intergenerational households, right? That um, That is very common and very true, especially in urban um, places. Uh, you know, I'm thinking Chicago and, and um uh, New York, but, but also in, in other places, but you see this a lot, you know, you see, you know, abuelita and abuelito y el tío y la tía, um, viviendo en, en el mismo, en la misma casa, no? And so obviously, um, you know, if somebody gets sick, it, it's likely that others will as well. Claro, y, y lo que pasa es que la, la infraestructura social de este país desafortunadamente se ha olvidado de, de la gente latina. Entonces, um, los latinos pues tienen trabajos que son considerados esenciales, trabajan en, en tiendas uh, de conveniencia, trabajan en, en construcción, trabajan en aquí, en, acá, en cosas que tienen que seguir uh, uh-huh. a pesar de la pandemia. Entonces, como, como mencionas, viven en, en casas que viven diferentes generaciones. Entonces, Tienes un grupo de personas que tienen trabajos que son más riesgosos, viviendo en hogares más grandes, y eso es, es una recipe for disaster, como decimos. Right, right. Uh, Daniel, recently, uh, in one of your tweets, you said that the Latinx community is not hesitant, but excluded in terms of healthcare, and in particular, at this moment, getting the vaccine. The differences between people thinking that Latinos are hesitant Sounds like the rhetoric of victim blaming, no? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think uh, it's, um, yeah, I think it's a strong statement, but I stand by it. Um, I think, you know, obviously, I, um, there is some hesitancy from, I think, every community, right? I think this is <clears throat> a new vaccine with a technology that, <clears throat> excuse me, although it has been used before in other medical treatments, it's, uh newer for vaccines. So of course, I think it's reasonable to have some questions and, um, you know, and I think, um, and if you add on top of that, you know, things like Tuskegee for the black community and like just Mm -hmm. the discrimination that black and brown communities live in the U.S., I have in the U.S., I think it's 100% reasonable to have hesitancy. But I think framing it like that, oh, Hispanics and, and black, people have hesit- are hesitant to get the vaccine A, puts the hesitancy up on that community as right. opposed to, wait, it, actually it was the government and all these like, academic institutions who did them wrong and did unethical and unspeakable things to these communities. So I think that's the kind of like the first point. And then secondly, I mean, it's hard to hesitate a vaccine that you're not being offered. For example, um, here in Denver, um, and I'm, just averaging the numbers and running up about 10% of eligible Latinos have been vaccinated and close to 80% of, of Caucasian patients have been vaccinated of those who are eligible. Mm. So if hesitation was the only factor, I right. don't think it would account for a 70% absolute difference. And there are stories of like people going to Washington Heights in New York, which is a Dominican neighborhood right. um, traveling to the neighborhood to I don't want, I, for lack of a better word, to steal the vaccine from the, the community that lives there. Right. And um, it's happening in every city. And, and you know, just 
um, the entire process relies in it's like um, discriminates against people of black and brown communities because you um, the way to get notified you need like a phone and a phone right. with internet and having and knowing how to use that and download the app and it also requires that you might even need to have a primary care doctor that you can get contacted through mm-hmm. so I think you know if you add all those things that uh, black and brown communities are already at a, at a disadvantage I think there's a lot more to it than hesitation. Hesitation, it's a thing, but I, I don't think it's the major contributor to disparities in the vaccine. Right, especially with those numbers that you're that you're quoting, right? Uh, 10% has gotten the vaccine versus 80% of those that are eligible to, to, to get it, right? That's a big number. And, and, and you're right, uh, we, we do have, you know, in the US a history of, of abuse, right? Um, underrepresented communities uh, do not trust institutions because of this history of being used, right, uh, without consent for um, testing or, or 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 withholding, you know, uh, something that um, that could uh, heal them uh, for the purpose of science or or um, research, right. Uh, and, and we know this, um, you mentioned a little bit, right, the, uh, the syphilis uh, study in prisons, or um, even what we know now about Henrietta Lacks, um, and the steril- sterilization of women's bodies in ICE detention centers, this was just, you know, this last year that this story came about. So, so, the he- so being hesitant could uh, have a root cause and many, many things, right? One is the, the not trusting institutions, uh, this history of abuse of um, underrepresented communities, uh, but, but then also this other things, right? Like you said, to access to technology, access to transportation to get to the vaccination site, um, having you know to do uh, an appointment when you have a work that doesn't allow you to have you know, time off. Um, and it's, and it's, uh, interesting that we are seeing this, you know, um, in Houston, um, uh, Lena, um, uh, is it Guerrero? I, I forget her last name now. Um, uh, she has, uh, when, when we were under the, you know, when we were, we were having elections, um, she actually, uh, mandated that the polls would be open 24 seven for a couple of days, right? So that. <laughs> it would uh, allow people that work odd hours <laughs> to have access to, you know, a polling site and, and go vote. Um, and so I'm thinking, what are we doing? Are we doing enough to, to make sure that we are uh, reaching this uh, community in, in, in ways that is equitable, right? Because we're talking about healthcare equity here. Um, and one one thing is that right, like like you said, uh, my mom has access to a primary care, uh, cl- you know, physician or clinic. So she has been updated and you know about when the vaccines are available and how to. And she's had difficulties because she, even though she lives in Texas, um, her you know she is primarily Spanish speaker and she doesn't she's not comfortable with English, right? Um, so that has been a little bit of like, how do you, how do you, and she's older, right? So how do they navigate all of this information, all of the system that is not built to, to provide them with access, you know? Uh, and so, 
So this this uh, disparity in the numbers that you quoted is more than just being hesitant or not trusting that the vaccine um, is efficient or is going to give them, you know, bad side effects is more than that. And that needs to be investigated and 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 solved. Right. And, and, and uh, fixed. Um, it, so, yeah, no, it, I mean, there's there's a little bit of frustration um, to hear the numbers, to know that uh, some communities are just being left out. Um, and I'm also talking about older generations, right, that that are that are expected to make their own appointments where when they don't have, they don't know how to navigate technology, right? Um, so, so yeah, this is, this is something, you know, to, to, to continue to have conversations and offer solutions because conversations is one thing, yeah. but who, who are the decision-making, you know, leaders that can, can really fix or um, lessen this burden on our communities, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think you have a great point. I think we can talk all about it, but we have to come up with solutions. And I think, you know, just like um, um, just not to bring any trauma to anybody, but just like how, you know, they bring out the National Guard for Black Black Lives Matter movements. Um, why do we use governmental resources to go into the communities and partner with local organizations that people trust Mm-hmm. and local clinics and local physicians and nursing homes and churches. And like, all, I mean, there's a lot to be done. There's a lot of uh, places that could be used mm-hmm. because if you tell somebody, again, as you mentioned, to travel from whatever they live to downtown Denver or to whatever, mm-hmm. or Chicago, New York, LA, whatever city, you're placing a lot of burden on a community that is already burdened mm-hmm. by, uh, by all of this. So I think you just, uh, yeah, I mean, you're, Again, an effort. We all knew of the tremendous uh, this health disparities that this country had, and not only health in every possible like, aspect of American living. But I feel like COVID has just like just accentuated everything like ten times, and like just brought up everything in such a s- small period of time, like education and health and uh, economics and all that. But I think you know we and again to fix these things, you have to be active. It's not like we're gonna say, well, let's just throw a vaccine and then just hope it's something. You have to be actively have to do work to mm-hmm. fix these disparities. Like it, it just, it won't fix itself. I mean, uh, it took active action to get to where we are. So it's gonna take active action to get us out of where we are. Yeah, you just made me think of something, right? Like uh, like you, you you gave the example of like, we send troops, right? When the, the protests were... <laughs> were happening or some in some cities are still happening right um but we also have as a government i mean they invested a lot on census workers right to go house to house to count people why can't we send somebody house to house to make sure you know people have access to vaccination like it's it's not really complicated it's not something that oh like you know we don't know how to do this you have done it in other ways um so why not just switch it instead of census? Let's bring vaccines to people. Yeah. And I recently saw, I think it was in Philadelphia, how uh, there was some partnership between like some, I believe it was churches and some local organizations in the black community. And they vaccinated, uh, I, don't know, I think it was 500 or 5,000. It was five something um, people. And yeah, that's something we can do. And, you know, the problem is like private citizens can do as can try to do as much as they can, but we need governmental support. This is a pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this has to come from from above, if you will. 
So Danny, Danny, um, let's talk about misinformation because uh, you know what is another part of being hesitant or or uh, or scared about taking you know the vaccine is misinformation. So so what have you heard um, you know that's out there that makes maybe our community up, opt out uh, of taking the vaccine? What can we do to dispel this myths and encourage our community to get vaccinated? Um, bueno, claro, eh, eh, hay bastante desinformación sobre, sobre el COVID, ¿no? Y desafortunadamente mucha de esta información se distribuye por Facebook o otro tipo de redes sociales que, que es como, es bastante rápido, ¿no? Entonces hay, 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 es, son bastante peligrosas desafortunadamente este tipo de redes. Um, y desde que empezó el, el COVID siempre ha habido, siempre, siempre, diferentes tipos de rumores, um, y siento que, que, que en sí es, la mayoría de ellos son, pues la gente pues está desesperada, quieren, quieren, pues, nadie se quiere morir de COVID, ¿no? Entonces, um, uh, que es un poco diferente de las uh, teorías de conspiración que se escuchan por acá, ¿no? Entonces, ¿qué, qué, qué, qué remedios? Me, me preguntan mis tíos, eh, tengo un tío que vive en México, que, que si el té de no sé qué, que si el extracto de no sé qué, que si, digo, no, desafortunadamente, bueno, bueno fuera que funcione. Si funcionara, yo te diría, sí, tómatelo, pero no, no. Eh, que si la ivermectina, que si la hidroxicloroquina, que si esto, que si lo otro. Y, y desafortunadamente, aunque se tienen buenas intenciones, eh, no, pues es, es, es peligroso, ¿no? Tomar cualquier medicamento sin, sin saber lo que uno está tomando es no solo no efectivo, puede ser peligroso y puede ser causar efectos a largo plazo y a corto y a largo plazo, ¿no? Y pues esa ha sido mucha de mi experiencia con COVID, intentar informar a la gente y, y la mayoría de mis interacciones han sido es gente que de verdad no sabe y que cuando uno lo explica, ah, pues no, pues sí, que entiende, ¿no? Y también de la, eh, un poco más de, de las informaciones erróneas ahora con la vacuna, es sobre qué tan segura es, que si, que si me da fiebre, que si, me da, que si la vacuna me puede dar COVID, que, cuáles son los efectos a largo plazo, y que, que si me puede dar cáncer, que si me puede cambiar el, el ADN, que si quiero quedar embarazada y todo eso. Entonces, siento, o sea, a lo mejor es un poco de, de mi bias, que porque yo soy latino, siento que en nuestra comunidad, nuestras preguntas y nuestras inquietudes son un poco porque no sabemos um, en lugar que es un poco diferente a mucho de, de la gente aquí en Estados Unidos que piensa que el, que el gobierno tiene algo y que nos quiere controlar a todos y cosas así. Obviamente existen esas teorías en español, pero siento que son un poco menos comunes, menos en mi experiencia, ¿no? Entonces, o sea, um, sí, o sea, yo, por ejemplo, hablo con mis papás que tienen preguntas y con mis tíos y, y son preguntas, o sea, que la gente tiene y son, como, como dije, son... son um, no quiero decir ignorancia, porque esa no es la palabra, sino es, no, no saben, de, pues, o sea, no todo el mundo es médico, ¿no? Uh -huh. Entonces, claro, es, claro son, son preguntas que vienen de, de, esa, de, ese, de ese miedo, que, que es un miedo razonable, porque miedo tenemos todos, nadie se quiere morir de COVID, ¿no? Uh -huh. Entonces siento, o sea, que, pero eh, lo que pasa es que la comunidad latina, es, es, eso sí, que los chismes, uf, tú sabes, seguro, se... Uf, una, una gotita acá y ya mañana es todo un río, ¿no? Porque eh, se expande. Claro, sí, no, no, así la pasó a mi mamá, ¿no? Hablando de, de chismes. <ríe> Pero no era chisme, sino que una, una de sus amigas, eh, que es farmacéutica, eh, recibió la vacuna 
y ella sí tuvo una, una reacción alérgica ¿no? a, la, a la vacuna. Entonces, eso es verdad, ¿no? Que esto sí uh, puede ocurrir, uh, pero no es común tampoco, ¿no? Eh, entonces, mi mamá eh, lo pensó para, tomarse, para tomar la vacuna, ¿no? Y, y ya tomó la primera dosis y, y todo bien. O sea, no, no le pasó nada. Entonces, eh, una de las cosas que yo le dije, ¿no? Es, eh, a pesar de una reacción, ¿verdad? Eh, es... Es worth it, you know? <risa> ese, ese pequeño riesgo de discomfort o verdad que te sientes mal, que te duele el brazo o algo así, uh, vale la pena, vale la pena eh, todavía ponerse la vacuna. Um, so yeah. Uh -huh. Que claro, o sea, um, claro, los, los efectos secundarios más comunes, como tú dices, claro, que te duele el brazo, poco de fiebre, um, síntomas, claro, que, que, que viene con una infección. Pero la vacuna no tiene virus. La vacuna no tiene ninguna partícula de virus. Entonces, es imposible que la vacuna cause COVID. Si o sea, una persona da COVID, tres días después de la vacuna es porque tuvo un contacto, no por la vacuna. Y, y claro, aunque no sé, no me acuerdo los números, disculpa, no sé, 10, 15% más o menos de personas les, les dé fiebre. Uh, el COVID también da fiebre y el COVID es mucho, mucho, mucho mucho más severo, obviamente, y uh, recientemente la CDC sacó los números de los primeros no sé cuántos millones de, de dosis y, y reacciones alérgicas severas, que es el, le, probablemente um, el efecto secundario más severo, era 0.000003, había como 5 ceros antes del 3, uh -huh. y la mortalidad del COVID es muchísimo más alta, es claro. miles de veces más alta que esa, entonces, um, o sea, yo le digo a, a mis amigos, aunque a mí me, de, me hubiese dado la, la alergia y digamos que pasa lo peor y yo me hubiese morir, muerto de, de COVID, pues, pues igual ahora recomendar porque, o sea, ¿cuánta gente se ha muerto? Medio millón, casi medio millón de americanos de COVID. Entonces, right. um, hay que tener un poco cuidado porque, o sea, ahora ya, se han recibido millones y millones de dosis en Estados Unidos y muchas millones más en el mundo uh -huh. y pues el riesgo de COVID, es, de tener COVID es mucho más alto y morir de COVID que, que de la vacuna. Uh -huh, claro, claro. Uh, Dani, ¿qué se siente eh, ser un médico latino bilingüe y de, dura, durante esta pandemia y ver cómo tu trabajo es tan valioso ¿no? en este momento para nuestra comunidad? Um, ¿Qué has aprendido? ¿Qué, qué, ¿Qué puedes compartir sobre esta experiencia? Claro, um, no, desafortunadamente um, ver, ver a tanta gente con la que yo me, me identifico, claro, o sea, yo, yo quería decir México, como dije, entonces ver a tantos pacientes mexicanos y, y cómo sufre nuestra gente, es bastante, es, o sea, me parte el corazón y la gente, y mucha gente que es tan buena y tan dulce. Hace ya varios meses, um, por ejemplo, me tocaba um, uh, intubar a una paciente um, y, y ella me, me dice que si podía rezar antes. Antes, y yo, yo claro que sí, señora, ¿cómo no? Uh -huh. y, y, o sea, y yo pensando como que va a decir, no, que por favor, Diosito, cuídame, que yo me quiero recuperar, y no claro. sé qué, que no me duela. Se puso a rezar por nosotros y porque... Uh -huh. Y porque, que, que, dándole gracias por el trabajo que hemos hecho y no sé qué, y, y lo único que pedía era, pues, 
tener un chance de ver a su esposo otra vez, que era el amor de su vida, y me dijo, si yo me muero, por favor, diga a mi esposo que fueron los mejores no sé, 50, 60 años juntos, y, y pues yo le dije, señor, usted tiene que parar porque me va a hacer llorar aquí, sí. en, <risa> aquí <risa> en el cuarto. No, y, y pues obviamente eso es una de muchas historias, y, mm, mm. y, pues, y pues duele, o sea, ver, um, ver lo mucho que sufrió la gente, y pues... Um, Obviamente uno se siente bien de que yo pueda hablar español y, y explicarle bien las cosas porque podemos tener todos los intérpretes. Los intérpretes en el hospital son de lo mejor que hay. Es uh -huh. porque hay tanta gente que habla otros idiomas que son muy... Pero no es lo mismo claro. uh, que tener ese intermediario en la conversación. Uh -huh. um, y siento que, que, claro, que hay mucho... Que, que eh, eh, la parte de la experiencia del paciente este, es un poco mejor... Y claro, o sea, pues no sé, yo o sea, no solo hablo español, si yo crecí en México, entonces me hice un poco de los chistes y podemos hablar que si las mecas, que si las chivas, que si esto y que si lo otro. Entonces, claro, intento, que cada, cultural. Claro, intento cada vez que puedo eh, eh, ayudar un poco y, y pues hacer que la gente se sienta bien, porque siento que, o sea, estás en, en un ambiente completamente diferente, donde no hablas tu idioma, donde no te dan tu comida, es, es, mm. es, es, es Bastante, eh, bastante difícil para los pacientes. Y, y, y pues claro, y, y, y ver los, la gente que se recupera y la gente que va a terapia intensiva y se recupera, uh, disculpa la palabra, pero termina te, te, te uno madreado, como dice en México. Uh -huh. O sea, la, las personas terminan bastante uh, débiles. Uh -huh. sí, sí. Bastante débiles y es un, una recuperación de meses. Uh -huh. um, y quién sabe qué secuelas se va a tener después, ¿no? Entonces, um, es difícil, ha sido bastante difícil, pero pues uno pone su grano de arena, como quien dice, uh, y, y pues claro, uh, mientras, un, mientras yo pueda y mientras tenga tiempo, pues obviamente siempre hablaré con, con la gente y, y para, para pues, la vacuna, porque si, si al, todos merecemos la vacuna, pero si alguien la merece más serían las comunidades a latinas, a las comunidades negras, comunidades de minería aquí en Estados Unidos, uh -huh. porque hemos sufrido más que, que nadie en ese país. Claro, claro. Dani, ¿hay algo más que te gustaría compartir uh, para este episodio? No, cl uh, claro. Uh, mis uh, últimos puntos serían uh, que, claro, tener dudas sobre la vacuna y sobre el COVID y sobre cualquier cosa uh, relacionada con esto es normal. O sea, um, pero hay, uh, quería recordarles a los radioescuchas que hay bastante evidencia de, de que esta vacuna es segura. Ha uh -huh. habido millones de dosis en el mundo sin ningún, nadie que haya tenido un efecto que pueda ser peor que el COVID y que nosotros somos parte de esta vacuna. Esta vacuna es nuestra también. Uh -huh. uh, la, la comunidad latina aquí en Estados Unidos ha sufrido y no solo por el COVID, hemos sufrido por muchos, muchos, muchos años de discriminación por idioma, por ser inmigrantes y por muchas otras cosas. Entonces, uh, si queremos beneficiarnos de la ciencia, tenemos que ser parte de la vacuna. Es, es parte de eso porque nos toca, porque um, nosotros aquí somos, somos el, como se dice, el backbone, somos la simiente de este país de la uh -huh. economía. Sin latinos, uh -huh. ese país no sobrevive. Entonces, Um, cuando hay un, un recurso tan valioso y tan importante, nosotros merecemos ser parte de eso. Y la única forma de que usted sea parte de, de, de esto es que usted se vacune. Uh -huh. 
Claro, gracias. Dani, muchas gracias por toda esta información y esta conversación contigo. Ana, muchas gracias a ti. ¿eh? A todos, gracias por escucharnos y recuerden seguirnos en Facebook y de compartir este podcast con otros. Hasta la próxima. Thank you.